Hey Stapleton Church, I'm so glad you've joined us today. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Stapleton Church. We are all about helping people follow Jesus because when you follow Jesus, that is the path to the fullest life. And that's what we want for you. We want to help you on that journey. And today we're going to go deeper into that. But I want to tell you I am so excited because next week... Some of you are going to be here in person. That's right. We are having our first in-person service next Sunday, April, June 21st, Father's Day. I want to see you here. Dads, lead the charge. Bring your family here. We're excited. We're going to be in the backyard, RSVP at stapletonchurch.com slash reopening. And I do have to tell you, a few weeks ago, I cheated. I cheated because when we were on vacation in Utah, well, they had been open for churches for a few weeks by that point. So we went to church. And we were there physically with other people worshiping together. And I can tell you, and this is my opinion, yes, yes, but I can tell you as a matter of fact that I felt like worshiping with a mask on, and it's hard to sing through a mask, worshiping on a mask on, being six feet apart from people, can't hug the people that you know, can't shake hands, but even being in person with those people was so incredible. I I forgot how much I missed that. And it was such a powerful experience, even though it was a small group, six feet apart with masks on. So I want to encourage you to come next week. Uh, just you, you'll, you already heard some of the information about it, but go to stapletonchurch.com slash reopening. Read some more of the information. We want to see you here next Sunday. But today, like I said, we're going to help you follow Jesus because following Jesus is, is incredible. It is the path to the fullest life, but on the path to that fullest life is a difficult journey. It can be a difficult journey. You know, I think we grasp this concept that the hardest things in life uh, are sometimes the best things in life. I, I was reminded of Navy SEAL training, particularly BUDS training, where uh, the, the people who are the best in the Navy who apply and who are picked, so they're the, the top-notch Navy people, right? And they have to go to uh, Navy SEAL camp there in Coronado Island in San Diego. And there for three weeks, they are put through grueling training grueling training, so that even the the most physically fit, uh, mentally bright, people who have already gone through other basic training go to this boot camp of sorts. Do you know what the success rate is there? 25%. There is a 75% failure rate. Because to do something great like that, to accomplish something important, it's hard. It's challenging. And some people uh, struggle with that. What I want to tell you today is that following Jesus is one of the most, perhaps the most challenging thing you could ever do. And that is what Jesus calls us to in this message. But I also want you to know through this message that though it is maybe the hardest thing, it is the best thing. And that's what we're going to see today in this message. So we are continuing a series. We took a week off as a break last week with a special message. But we are back into our series called Jesus Is as we continue through the Gospel of Luke to learn about who Jesus is. Because filling in that blank, Jesus is blank, filling in that blank is the most important question, or I'm sorry, most important answer you will ever give in your life. And today especially, this message is all about this. I I want you to get this and see who Jesus is, fill in the blank, because it will in turn change and transform your life. So what we're going to see is in Luke chapter 9, verse 18, that's where we're going to start, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 9, verse 18. 27. So if you have a Bible, get your physical Bible out, get your app, get your um, tab in the browser, go to Luke chapter 9, verse 18. You can also look at the link in the comment section for the YouVersion Bible app that will have a place where you can take notes right there in the app. So there, in verse 18, what we read is that once, when Jesus was praying in private, 
and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. So this is the question that Jesus presents. Who are people saying I am? What are people saying about me? How are they filling in the blank? Jesus is what? What are people saying? And they have some ideas, that, of course, that he's a prophet, that he's a teacher, that he's Elijah. Now, this might sound kind of bizarre because we know that Elijah died a long time before this, six, seven hundred years before Jesus ever came. But there was a prophecy in the book of Malachi, the very last book in what we can call the Old Testament, that prophesied that Elijah would come back. So what they're saying is not Elijah physically coming back, but that there's a prophet like Elijah that has come fulfilling the prophecy from that book of Malachi. But they also say that it is one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Now, this is bizarre and weird. And I think they say this because there were some people out there, this is not a biblical idea. Reincarnation is not biblical. Sorry to break, burst your bubble. Um, reincarnation is a concept taught in Eastern religions, but not in the Bible. However, there were some people that had superstitious beliefs. They believed all sorts of things, just like today. People believe all sorts of things. Um, you know, that there's reincarnation, past lives. So people are taking all these different concepts from all over the, different, over the world and they're trying to figure out who Jesus is. And so the disciples are saying, well, look, these are all the different things people say. And in our world today, there are even more that I think we can add to that. Maybe one of the most popular is that Jesus was a great teacher, that he had important moral things to teach or wise things. He was like Confucius with sayings. He had important things to teach us. Others say that he was a great moral example that what he did by loving others, serving others, washing people's feet, even going to die on behalf of others, that that is a great moral example that we can follow in. Others say that Jesus was a prophet. In fact, major religions in our world, including Islam, say that Jesus was one of many prophets, a spokesperson for God. Uh, on top of that, uh, on top of that, um, the, in Eastern religions, uh, they call Jesus an avatar. You know, you may have seen that in the video and wondering, what the heck is that talking about? Is that that movie that James Cameron made a few years ago with all those blue people? No, that's not what I'm talking about here. That term avatar um, in a religious sense me meant a representation of God on earth. So people would be a representation of the many thousands of gods. So some people think that that's what Jesus was, a representation of God. So people have all sorts of different concepts in our world. And maybe if you're watching online, you can comment in the section some of the things you've heard people say about who Jesus is. Because there are lots of different ideas. And what's interesting is that each one of the ideas that are out there, it seems to have pieces and parts of the truth. You know, Jesus was a political revolutionary, that he was uh, all, all sorts of different things. But we look at those... And we take those pieces, but what's most important is what Jesus then asked the disciples next, and in turn what he asks us. In verse 20, Jesus said, But what about you? He said, I've heard what the crowds say, with their superstitions, with their, you know, even biblical ideas, with their conjecture, but what about you? What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? So Jesus directed this to the disciples, but I think we too can listen to this. For those of us who are wanting to follow Jesus, or maybe you're watching this and thinking about following Jesus, this is a question that every single one of us needs to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Is he one of those many different things? Is he just one among many prophets, an avatar? Is he just a great moral teacher? Or is he something else? 
And I do not want you to leave this message today, whether you're listening or watching, whether you're on a run or or on your sofa or watching this in the bathroom. I don't care where you are, but I do not want you to stop watching this video or stop listening to this until you have decided for yourself who Jesus is. That you have filled in that blank. Because that is the most important thing about you. Who you say Jesus is. And in response to Jesus' question, Peter gives an answer. Peter answered, says in the second half of verse 20, Peter answered, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. And he got it right. He got it right. In fact, in verse 21, it says that Jesus warned them not to tell anyone because Peter had it right that he's the Messiah. So what does that word, God's Messiah, mean? Well, that, that word Messiah, some of you have Christ because literally the Greek word here is Christos, which is a translation, though, of the Hebrew word Messiah or Mashiach, which meant the anointed one. This was a very special term because the kings in the Old Testament, like David, were anointed with oil and anointed with the Holy Spirit to represent that they were God's king on earth, that they were someone after God's own heart. And that anointing as the royal son of God, in a sense, now continues. And for generations, God's people... The Hebrews have been looking forward to when the new anointed one would come, the final anointed one, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, who dozens, if not hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament point forward to this Messiah who would come. And when Peter says, Jesus, I think you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, Jesus tells him, you got it right. You're right. That's who I am. I am the long-awaited Savior, anointed one, son of God in the lineage of the king of David. Now already it's interesting in this book of Luke, twice Jesus has been called the Messiah, but this is the first time by one of his disciples. Those first couple times were when he was just a baby or even before he was born. The angels proclaimed it, but it wasn't until now that people really grasped who Jesus was. He wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a moral example. He was the Son of God, the Mashiach, the long-awaited one. And and this is exciting. This is thrilling. They had been waiting for this for so long, hundreds and thousands of years. Their grandparents, their grandparents, grandparents, grandparents had been dreaming about the day when this Messiah would come. And finally, Peter and James and John and the rest of the disciples were there to see that Jesus, the Messiah, has come. and, And he's saying, yes, that's who I am. Fill in the blank. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, if I were them, I'd be saying, okay, where are the fireworks? Where's the party? Where's the celebration? Can't we we get everybody together and be excited about this? Can't can't we go on on CNN right now and broadcast this news? Let's go on Twitter. Everybody's got to hear about this, right? Type in that tweet in. Okay, 140 characters. No, no, but Jesus says, don't tell anyone. He was very strict about it. It says in verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone of this. He's strict. Don't tell anyone. In fact, he says, we can't party because of what the Messiah came to do. And at this point, Jesus is talking about what would come in the future, but now he's making a prediction, a prophecy of his own. In verse 22, it says, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer The Son of Man is that phrase that Jesus used for himself. It's representing some of the prophecies from Ezekiel and Daniel. And Jesus is claiming this prophecy, uniting those with the idea of the Messiah. And he's saying, I am the anointed one of God, but I must suffer. 
many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Way to burst the bubble, Jesus. Way to bring everybody down. Everybody's so excited getting out the fireworks and the party, the pinata, like, oh my gosh, let's, let's celebrate. No, Jesus says, no, no, no. See, you don't understand what it means to be the Messiah. Yes, he is the anointed one, the new king of David that would come. The son of David who would come. But he would also have to suffer many things. Be rejected by his own people, the Jews. That's what he says, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he would be killed, facing the ultimate suffering. Now, Jesus is taking their concept of this revolutionary Messiah, this great king who would come riding in on a white stallion or, to, to rule and bring peace to the nation, to overthrow perhaps the Roman government and finally establish the kingdom of God again here on earth in the nation of Israel. But though Jesus was the king, the long-awaited king, the son of David in his lineage, Jesus said there's also another aspect to what the Messiah is. The Messiah also must suffer many things and die must suffer many things and die. See, Jesus here is picking up on some of the prophecies from Isaiah where this, this servant of God is called the man of sorrows, someone who is acquainted with grief, that he would be oppressed and afflicted like we talked about last week, that he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. See, this great kingly Messiah who has great power is also the one who will suffer many things and be brought low. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. But as Jesus would say elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. And Jesus is going to explain to them that because he is their rabbi, their teacher, their Messiah, that any who would follow after him and become his disciples would suffer in the same way. Verse 23, Jesus says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? What Jesus is saying here is that if you want to be my follower, if I am your master, you will suffer like I will suffer. You will go through hardship like I will go through hardship and you will die daily like I will one day die. Now, Jesus says here that they will take up their cross. Now, I want to spend a little bit of moment talking about this because I think too often we have... Um, we're so far away from the first century AD. So, when we think of cross, we think of something like this. We see a cross, and this is a nice little wooden cross that you put up on your wall or on your mantle. Perhaps we think of that, that gold necklace that we have, a cross on a, on a chain around our neck. Maybe you got when you were baptized. We, we think of, you know, the inconspicuous tattoo on your ankle. We, we see these crosses everywhere. They're on top of church buildings everywhere. And there's so much a part of our culture, these blank crosses, that I think we forget what the cross means. Now that phrase even, take up your cross, or bearing my cross, has different connotations today that even Jesus intended. See, the cross in the first century was something just as frequently seen as it is today. But it wasn't on mantles. It wasn't on 
around people's necks. Instead, it was outside of most Roman cities where the Roman government would execute upon these crosses those who went against the emperor, who broke the law. See, the crosses actually were a very common thing. The Romans became very uh, proficient. They didn't invent crucifixion, but they uh, perfected it. They knew how to kill people and execute them. There are stories that Josephus, the great uh, Jewish historian, records that some thousands of Jews were executed at one time by the Roman Empire. When they took up their cross, what what they would actually do was give these people who were condemned criminals, that they would make them carry the cross piece, which is called the patibulum. This cross piece, the horizontal beam of the cross, they would carry it. It was very heavy. Jesus was so weak by how he was beaten that he couldn't carry it by himself. Someone else had to help him carry. And they would take that and they would carry it from the city where they had been condemned all the way outside the city where they could be executed outside of the city near the city gate so that everyone could see it. And when they hung him up out there, you know, Jesus died in a few hours. But in reality, most criminals were up on the cross for days. They took Jesus down because it was a Friday. The next day was Sabbath. They couldn't leave him up there. But normally, the, the people would hang on the cross for hours, sometimes days, slowly, slowly dying. Sometimes, Carrion would come and start pecking out the bodies of live victims. And they would hang on those crosses because the Romans wanted to instill fear in the people that they were ruling over, including the Jews. This was something that you could not look away from. Now, we have some family friends who live for a time in Saudi Arabia. And while they were there, even though they're uh, Americans, they were warned not to go into the city on Fridays. Why? Because they're in the center of the city, in the square that is colloquially referred to as Chop Chop Square. Every Friday after prayers, criminals are executed. They're beheaded. And people gather around to watch. It's hard not to see, but they do that so that people will be uh, fearfully avoid criminal activity. This is to instill fear, to see this public execution. This is what would have been in the minds of Jesus' disciples as Jesus said, you will take up your cross. You know, I heard a comedian once, you know, compare it to like, nobody has an electric chair on the necklace around their neck. Or perhaps we could extend it further. Nobody sees guillotines on the top of buildings driving around town. But we see crosses everywhere and and it's lost, I think, a lot of the reality of what it was in Jesus' day. So when Jesus says that if you are going to be my disciple, you're going to pick up your cross, what he's saying is that you are going to suffer and that you are going to die to yourself. And he says this will be daily. You will deny yourself, you will die, and you will do it daily. This is something that happens again and again and again. As the follower of Jesus says, it's not about me. I will die to myself, to my preferences, to my wants and to my desires, and I will do it to follow Jesus and obey him. This is the call of Jesus here. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. This is a hard word for us to hear, and I think that's the reason why even Thomas Akempis years ago said, the Lord has many lovers of his crown, but few lovers of his cross. We don't even want to think about that. We don't want to be offended by how gross and terrible the cross was. But Jesus, knowing that he would suffer that way, 
said, yes, if you are my follower, you too will die to yourself. Perhaps not physically, but you will die to yourself spiritually. And you should do it daily if you want to follow me. So I want to ask you the question. If you are a follower of Jesus and you hear my voice, if you're watching this, have you died to yourself today? That would maybe be a question you should ask yourself every day. Have I died to myself today? This is an important question to ask in relationships. When you're having a struggle in your marriage with a significant other in a relationship and and you're wondering who should win, basically. I, I should win. You won the last five. The question we should ask ourselves is, have I died to myself in this relationship? Parents with your kids. Kids with your parents. Friends with other friends. Here in our church, have I died to myself today? You know, last week we talked about the reality of our need to pursue racial reconciliation. One of the hardest things about racial reconciliation, if we're honest, is that it means that I have to die to my own culture to be willing to worship in church with people who look differently than me, that maybe like different music than me, eat different food than me, speak a little different than me. Okay, we have to die to ourselves. But that is the call of Jesus. That is the call of Jesus. Um, Bonhoeffer, uh, again, he said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. You have to deny yourself daily. Now, this is a challenging word, but I want you to see how important this is. If you've been through a membership class here at the church or or if you've heard some of my messages in the past, I have a diagram that I often show. Because some of you are are being hit by this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't know that, that it was going to be this challenging to follow Jesus, this difficult. I didn't know this was a Navy SEAL boot camp. But here's the thing. When you follow Jesus, He gently invites us on. It is the most challenging thing, but it's also the most comforting thing. And if you look throughout the Gospels, you can kind of see these four different segments of how He called His own disciples. You know, they've been following Him for quite a while now before He tells them what it actually costs to be His disciple. And that's why I often call the first section, Come and See. At first He's saying, just check me out. Just check me out. Learn, investigate, ask some questions. Dive a little deeper, read some of the Scriptures. And some of you are brand new to faith. Just investigate Jesus. Just come and see. Okay? Just come and see. that This cross-bearing stuff, okay, it, it will be coming later, but, but what I want you to do right now is just come and see. Others in you, you need to learn to come and rest. This is salvation where it's time to come to Jesus and realize, I don't have to do anything to be forgiven of my sin. I just need to lay myself down at the foot of the cross and accept what Jesus has done for me. Others of you have moved into that third section where it's come and abide, come and remain, and it's time to develop a relationship, grow, maybe develop some disciplines of prayer and scripture reading in your life so you can continue to grow in your faith. But I believe that fourth stage of come and die is something that we are all called to. There is some teaching out there that I think is wrong and and is not biblical, so I just want to address it for just a second. There are some that teach that there is a difference between believers and disciples. They're saying that, okay, this call to to be my disciple is not for everyone who's a Christian. I think that is wrong. I do not think that's a biblical position or teaching. In fact, as you read through the New Testament, which has been pointed out by a great biblical scholar called Michael Wilkins, that the word believer and disciple are actually used interchangeably through the Bible. There is no difference. There are not believers and then the good believers are disciples. There are only disciples, perhaps not so good ones and better ones. But the call, if you do believe in Jesus, if you have said that he is the Messiah, is to follow him, even to pick up your cross, to die to yourself daily. It is death. But here's the greatest news. Is that it's worth it. It's worth it. 
When Jesus goes on in verse 26, he says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, this is a tricky passage to interpret, but what I think the, Jesus is saying here is what's going to happen in our passage next week. So you've got to come back next week and we're going to talk about this a little bit further. But what Jesus is saying is that yes, the Messiah will suffer and it will, he will suffer many things. It will be terrible to be rejected, to, to die on a cross as he implies that he's going to. But he also has glory and kingdom and that he will come in glory with the Father and the angels. So if... If our Messiah is our master and we must follow him in his path of suffering, we will also then follow in his path to glory. Now that's good news. And I think that's why Jesus said, look back in 23, in verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 24 where he said, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. See, when you lay down your life, when you're willing to die and give it all up for Jesus, you will gain something even more incredible. It will be worth it in every moment. Everything that you have given up in this life, every preference you have laid down for a relationship or for church, for for the lost, whatever you have given up will be worth it, will be rewarded, and more in the glory that will be awaiting us. That's what Jesus is telling us. And the opposite is true. If you're unwilling to do that, if you're saying, no, 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 I think I want to do things my way. I don't want to listen to Jesus. I want to obey myself, not God. Then you will actually forfeit everything. That if you think, "Eh, I'm just going to do my business, make my money, have my house, my kids, my grandkids, go about life, the American dream, I'm just going to do all that stuff for me, that's you, you will actually lose everything in eternity. If, however, you say, I'm giving that all to God, and I'm going to lay all that down and die to myself, you are actually gaining everything. Everything is yours. So, Will you follow this Jesus? If Jesus is the Messiah, the great, glorious Messiah, but also the suffering servant, will you follow him? You know, Jesus didn't just predict that he would suffer many things and then on the third day be raised to life, but he actually pulled it off. Now that alone should make you stop and listen. If you're wondering how to fill in Jesus is the blank, if Jesus actually predicted his death, predicted his resurrection three days later, and then pulled it off, You should probably listen to him because there's not a single other religious leader or moral teacher or prophet in the entire universe that has ever been able to accomplish that feat. Muhammad dead, Confucius dead, Buddha dead, Jesus alive. Because on the third day after he suffered on the cross, carrying that wooden beam to the mount of the skull, and when he died breathing his last, they laid him in the ground on Friday night. On the third day, on Sunday, he rose from the dead. And there appeared to over 500 people speaking to them, talking to them, hugging them, eating food with them. And then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting to come back to rule forevermore on this earth. Now that is the Jesus who who proclaimed it, who prophesied it, who pulled it off that we should follow. Because yes, he died, but yet he also rose from the dead. Yes, he suffered, but he was also glorified. And if we follow him, that is the same path that we will take. When you follow Jesus' lead, losers win. When you follow Jesus' lead, losers win. You know, this is the reality. That the greatest things, the things that bring us the most joy are sometimes the hardest things. Usually the hardest things. I remember 
when uh, thinking about the twins we were going to have last year. You know, before the twins were born, I was trying to wrap my mind around how hard it would be to have twins and, and could I mentally prepare for it. And even though we had already had McKinley, I couldn't. I couldn't even comprehend what it was going to be like to have two little babies, two, you know, bodies to, to, to clean and diapers to change at the same time. I had no idea. And I remember it was like the first night and I was trying to, to change a diaper there in the hospital room and one of the babies was spitting up uh, and I was, there's, you know, poop everywhere and the other baby's spitting up and I'm trying to clean up but then the other baby's spitting up and choking on the spit up and I was just like, what the heck do I do? And I was completely overwhelmed. Raising twins is, was tough. It still is tough, okay? Six months in, it's hard. It's challenging. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yet I can also tell you this. It's maybe the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. There's nothing greater than children. And to have two is, is just an extra blessing from God. I, I spoke with someone last week and they were asking me like, well, Matt, how, what's the cost of having a child? Like, what's the new numeric cost? Like, and I guess you could try to calculate that out. Like, what's the hospital stay going to cost? You know, what, what does it cost to, to buy food, to buy diapers, to, to get a college education? I mean, you could do all those calculations, but I can tell you it's going to cost more than that. Okay? It costs a lot to have children, and yet it's totally worth it. The benefits far outweigh the costs. And in an even greater way, following Jesus will be the hardest thing you will ever do. You will have to deny yourself daily, die to yourself daily in relationships, at church, in the world. You will die to yourself. You will suffer. You will struggle. There are people who, who call you names. You, you will follow in the path of Jesus. And yet, it will be totally, totally worth it. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. See, when you follow Jesus' lead, losers win. So if you're hearing my voice right now, I hope that you will make a decision for Jesus. And I want to challenge you, if you've never made that decision for Jesus, maybe you've been in that come and see stage, but you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you to do that today and I want to give you a prayer to make that Him your own. But for every single one of us, even if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you to be a true disciple to truly go after Jesus with everything and to die to yourself today. And I want you to say today, I will deny myself, I will die to myself, and I will follow Jesus no matter where he takes me and no matter what he commands me to do. So I'm going to give you that opportunity now to respond in faith, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and for all of us to respond by denying ourselves to follow Jesus. So if you're ready to say that prayer, would you please pray with me? Please say this out loud. Father, I know that I am a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Please give me the gift of eternal life. I declare that Jesus is the Messiah, my Lord and Savior. I invite your Spirit to live in my heart. Help me to follow you and die to myself daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you said that prayer for the first time, please, I want to hear from you. Text the word follow to the number at the bottom of the screen. Text the word follow. I want to get in touch with you. I want to encourage you on this new journey. It is totally worth it. It is totally worth it. Even if you can't comprehend how hard or how great it's going to be, it is worth it. But for all of us, I want to say a prayer as we close our time together today. Lord God, thank you so much for calling us to follow you. And thank you for sending your son to be an example for us, to go in front of us, to suffer, yes, to die, yes, but to rise from the dead three days later and ascend into heaven to show us a glimpse of the glory that would be ours through faith in Jesus Christ. 
I pray that You would give us the strength in grace to lay down our own lives, to deny ourselves daily and follow You. Not because we do it to be saved, but we do it because we are saved and we want to follow You and receive the glory that is waiting for us. Lord, help us to realize that when we have follow Jesus and His lead, losers win. Amen.